Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In today's episode, we're catching up with C.J. Moses, Chief Information Security Officer at AWS, on the topic of vulnerability management. Join C.J. and Clark Rogers, Director of AWS Enterprise Strategy, as they discuss simple cyber defense strategies that have enormous impact. You'll hear a play-by-play account of how these simple strategies help the AWS security organization quickly react to and mitigate the Log4j vulnerability of 2021. A lot of the issues today still go back to some very basic hygiene. You know, care and feeding of patching the stuff. Um, Everybody freaks out about ransomware, and that is the big buzzword. Still is. Everybody's, you know, what, what can I do about ransomware? My basic answer is basic hygiene patch your stuff. That's right. Um, because ransomware itself, malicious, you know, software only finds its way into your system through various, a few different ways. A lot of that is lack of patching. Right. Um, then we can kind of focus over to the other side is, you know, uh, phishing or, you know, uh, social engineering, one of the two, but, you know, phishing, clicking, having your employees clicking on stuff, you know, pulling it into your environment. Even then some of the basic hygienes of having, you know, defense in depth, least privilege for the employee so that even if they click on it, it's isolated to their box and the few things they may have access to, uh, not have it, you know, be able to move sideways or off of the systems using EDR and other types of technologies in order to prevent and protect. Um, so all of these things kind of line up and it sounds like a lot, but quite honestly, that's the, it's a basic cost of doing business unless you want to be, yeah. you know, as we've seen, you know, the, uh, um, the pipeline, the oil pipeline provider that ultimately couldn't provide gas to the East right. Coast for you know a month. Those types of things are very real, but could be very easily mitigated if you pay attention to the basics of hygiene. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the types of things where um, when they occur, you know, you see, oh well, the CISO got fired. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is part of the business. Single-threaded leader who owns the business as a whole is the CEO. The CEO needs to understand the risks that they have. It's the CISO's job to make sure they're aware of them and and articulate for those those uh, those risks to be mitigated. When talking with board of directors or you know executives, you know C-suite executives, metrics are great. And in Amazon, they work better than in most companies, just because we're that's the kind of culture that we really have. Um, but even board of directors or otherwise, they remember stories, anecdotes, issues that uh, they can relate with and remember. So if you go in with a whole bunch of metrics. How many of those metrics do you think that a board of directors member uh, is going to remember two days later? Probably none, maybe one or two that kind of really stood out. Um, But if you're uh, if you tell them a story about what it happened and the people involved and how it impacted them and use cases of other types of businesses that have been in a similar situation and the cost to that business. And there's plenty of examples, but you can see the actual monetary loss and the uh, opportunity cost to the businesses. That will impact that company for years to come, if not forever. So the idea of being able to, you know, get in front of those things. Log4j was a big one for us explaining how, it, you know, we had 1.2 million things that needed or 1.2 million actions that needed to be taken by 17,000 employees in order to patch all of the things. And that we want to do that in a more streamlined, automated way going forward. So you don't have to have 17,000 people doing that. They might remember the numbers, but what they're going to remember more is, is that the automation that's coming forward and that we're doing. 
those are the types of things that you try to explain to the board um, or to you know the CEO to get them on on board with your yep. your uh, security culture. And, and then, and then frame, it, I imagine, yeah. frame it, I imagine, I imagine in, in profit and loss and business terms and risk oh, to the yeah. business versus <laughs> right. uh, this library of this uh, piece of software needs yeah. to get patched or this bad thing happens, right? Yeah, and obviously there's a friction, you know, monetary, financial friction, slowing down the business potentially or using money um, from other things in order to do security related things. How much? security tech debt as yep. you know does the company have so cj i'm glad you brought up log for j because mm-hmm. you know it's it's something that a lot of our customers faced uh you know december of last year or so with the, yeah. the with the log for j vulnerability and of course the log for shell uh exploit right yeah. can you walk us through um what that looked like sort of inside of aws yeah. and would love to hear a little bit about what AWS security kind of did and, yeah. and and sort of ran, and then what the engineering teams and the service teams had to do from, yeah. from a security responsibility perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was December 9th when things started to break, and uh, it had been a while at that point in time since we had a, a large-scale zero-day, as we mm-hmm. call them, uh, kind of drop um, where you have you know millions, literally, of computers that need to be patched. Um, so obviously we have a, a process for doing so and we do it every day. Um, just not at the, uh, the timeliness of this one that needed essentially to have all of those things patched immediately would right. be the preference. Um, so from a security perspective, obviously a lot of our responsibility was to, to rally the troops, you know, pull together the, the issue response, if you will, to identify where number one thing you want to know is visibility. Where are these vulnerable systems, yeah. uh, that need to be patched? How many of them are are there? What are the defense in depth that are in front of some of them so that you know the prioritization of what you need to patch first? Because obviously things that are facing the internet directly, um, even with some mitigations on them, are the things that are more vulnerable from a risk perspective than those things that you have other many more defenses on top of. Uh, so a lot of that triage uh, was, was started immediately. And that is done in direct cooperation with all of the service teams. Um, because once again, they're responsible for the security, they're, they're, they their own, services, they own it, right? and, and they own the patching of their systems too. Last thing you want is traditionally for the security team to be patching their stuff. Um, and in, in this case, you know, we did the, did the triage, as we'll call it, um, figured out what the, what the, the opportunities were, um, started down the path of figuring out what, what the patch would look like, because zero day, meaning normally there's no patches, right. um, working with the industry and in this case, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, Java uh, providers out there to, to look for their versions of the patch for anything that was third party. But we have a lot of implementations internally that we can also patch ourselves, looked at. And that's the nice thing about having an engineering culture and engineers. Right. So you don't have to wait for anybody else. You look at it yourself and figure out, well, we can do these things. Um, so uh, from the engineering side of the house, a few of the teams really dug, dug really deep, figured out two ways. Number one, uh, an internal patch, if you will, uh, software patch that would be applied to the many millions of systems that we have. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest and most innovative thing that the, the team came up with is the ability to hot patch. Okay. So essentially a hot patch is uh, a changing essentially of the Java configuration uh, in a uh, very automated fashion to allow us to turn off the thing that was broken that caused the vulnerability. In this case, the, the print buffer uh, capability that was in, in, in the, the software and then the ability to push that out broadly. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. 
To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. To get it as broad as we wanted it, this is where we kind of went off script from what traditionally we would do because service teams own the patching of all their systems, Mm -hmm. uh, security just advises and assists. But going back to the enablement perspective, one of the things we did, we had a means by which to get to all of those systems with their blessing to be able to push the hot patch, which we knew was a low risk versus the risk that you would face from uh, having the vulnerability. Sure. And we're able to do the the hot patch. Um, hot patch was created in very short period of time. And uh, of course, didn't go through our normal long process of all the vulnerability management and stuff like that, or all the um, AppSec reviews type stuff that we would normally do. But one of the things was, is it took um, our uh, state from being needing to patch everything immediately, software patch everything immediately, sure. to having everything patched virtually, you know, right. um, in a very short period of time, which bought us time to continue to patch everything else. A hot patch for us is a defense and depth mechanism. It helps you to buy time in order to be able to patch all the other things that we have in due time. That's part of that creation of defense and depth that sure. we, we we believe in. Um, obviously, we had other mitigations, WAF, and other types of things that were, were blocking and tackling ahead of time. But uh, having that allowed us the time to make sure everything else was patched uh, securely. And as you know, with Log4j, it wasn't one patch. Then a few days later, they realized, oh, there's another issue. And we actually helped right. identify some of these additional things. There was multiple patches that needed to be done. Um, and that allowed us to not have to physically patch all of these things a bunch of times because we had the, the hot patch that for the first three, I believe it is, three issues that popped up, we were able to use the hot patch to protect ourselves against while then we uh, were able to push the uh, the longer tail. And even then we did so at a, a high rate of, of speed for many millions of systems and be able to do that. The cooperation um, isn't out of the norm for us to work together with engineering right. teams. That's the thing is day to day, that's what we do. Um, we're part of their teams and we have security guardians that are part of the service teams themselves. They're trained for a few weeks by us to understand a lot of the normal security requirements, also become ambassadors into the service teams. And those security guardians then um, allow us to operate as one um, so that it's not an us and them. The adversarial thing that sometimes appears when you have a security team normally comes out of a, a security team that is the land of no and always trying to block and tackle and keep you from doing things we want to be the inverse of that and have been um, to where we're enabling them. And in this case, that was, uh, you know, some of the benefit uh, that arose from that is we worked together with the engineering team. They came up with the hot patch. We mm-hmm. came up with the means by which to deploy it broadly right. at, you know, very quickly to, to our scale. Um, then buying us all time. When I say buying us time, we all worked through the holidays, making sure everything was patched sure. um, as our security bulletins advised on. We didn't, uh, and that's the thing is a lot of our messaging uh, going out wasn't, um, messaging that we had hot patched everything, uh, we actually messaged when we software patched because right. the thing that you don't don't want to do is have a software or a, a, a hot patch and then not soft, software patch it and then have something go wrong with the one layer of defense, right. the hot patch, and then the vulnerability that you originally were trying to protect against is still there. So hot patch is a defense and death mechanism to, to block and tackle while you do the other. And we were reporting on when we got software patching done. That way it kept us, um, A, transparent to our customers so they understood what was going on. And B, that we were transparent to ourselves, that we weren't fooling ourselves, that we were actually mitigated the threat completely um, by doing the the hot patch by then, you know, 
software patching. And that's when we call it done done is when the software patch was broadly deployed and everything was in good stead. Um, quite a challenge. We learned so much from it. Like I was saying, it was 1.2 million actions uh, by 17,000 engineers. We talked about security being the path of least resistance. Having 17,000 engineers working at breakneck speed sure. is not uh, least friction. <laughs> so following on behind that, we've worked very closely to try to make sure that we have automation across the totality of all the different platform or the different uh, you know, networks that we run on right. to be able to patch things in a timely fashion. Uh, and not, you know, through the holidays with people having to make heroic efforts. So I think that was a heroic effort. Every time we have to have a heroic effort, we have to figure out a way to make it normal course of business during normal business hours for sure. the people around the world um, so that we don't have to have that. So uh, to sort of bring it back with the uh, weekly CISO CEO meeting, mm -hmm. right? Uh Log4j was out of the norm, right? Because mm -hmm. you're patching all the time yeah. for everything else that comes out. But this was different, right? And had to dedicate a whole bunch of resources. Did you wait for the Friday no, meeting no, no. to discuss this? How often was the- Three times a day. The CEO and the CISO or yeah. representatives from- No, we, we had regular meetings at different la layers that were going on all the time. Right. But three times a day at a minimum, we were doing updates uh, in you know, live or in, in meetings, you know, right. virtual meetings, uh, three times a day with good questions and prioritizations and pushes and why is it taking this long for this team? Right. And normally there was a good answer within the room because of the focus by everyone on it. Um, it was pretty much a drop everything else and get that done type of thing. That's fantastic. And the it was you know understood. That's the nice thing is it was understood once we explained what, what needed to happen and what, what the risk was. There wasn't any pushback across the totality of the business. Everybody was like, got it. We know what we need to do. This is this is it. This is what we're going to focus on. We're going to get it done. Um, so there wasn't that fight, and it wasn't because you know Adam or somebody was saying we had to do it. It, it before it even got to Adam. Everybody was already doing the things. The first update to Adam after kind of giving them the heads up that hey, this is what we've got going down. Um, you know, was one that here's the plan. Right. This is what we're doing. We're going to iterate on it, make it better. But this is what we're doing for now, and everyone was all in. So that mindset, and again. The Friday meeting isn't the, there's an emergent thing I need to tell you about now. Um, that's the nice thing is, is that our business is circles around uh, the leadership, single threaded leaders actually interacting. So Adam knows about what's going on. He had questions. We, we had answers. You know, it was one of those discussions like that. And if there's something pops up, he'll get a text message or a chime or a Slack or one of our many messaging different capabilities, Wicker primarily these days. Um, to say, hey, this is what's going on, just a heads up so you don't get blindsided, more details to come, whether it be a meeting or you know, uh, uh, an impromptu meeting that we, we call, like we had for Log4j, on an ongoing basis. That meeting didn't end until we were you know, patched, sure. like software patched. It wasn't, it wasn't three times a day through all the time, but it was continued to make sure we were done done. Yeah, so it, it, it sounds like it's extremely important to have those bu business uh, and actually personal relationships mm -hmm. forged well before anything like that happens, right? Oh, absolutely. If, if you're cold and calling, trust, et yeah, yeah, if you're cold calling either your executive team or even, in our case, service team leaders uh, on things like this, you're way behind the curve. And that's the thing is, is that, um, you know, trust is normally built between humans. Uh, therefore, it takes time. Uh, so, and it, normally it's done mostly face to face, which has been a challenge over these last few years. 
Um, but in my case, I'm lucky to have been here for coming up on 15 years here. Sure. So you get to know people and uh, they get to know you. Um, and because everyone has a different user interface. I mean, you know, there's different people have different ways of interacting. So understanding what, uh, what how they like to receive information also is helpful. So, you know, I think Adam and I have worked that out. So I know what, you know, he likes to see. So there's a lot of things that are challenging. But in the end, it really comes down to the biggest advice that I give to any CISO or candidate for a CISO is understand that you as um, the chief security representative for the company, sure. regardless of the title, if it's chief information security officer, or chief security officer, the reality is, is that if you're chief information security officer, you have to be not only responsible or um, a advocate for all security. Doesn't matter what type, personnel, physical security. Just because it's not in your title or in the in in, in the name, doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. Because right. in the end, if the data is somehow leaked or otherwise breached or whatever, um, it's still it's still you know partially your fault. Right. And I say partially because of the shared model between the service owners in our case and and the security team. But at the same time, when it all comes down to it. It's my responsibility and those business owners to make sure that we're maintaining the security across the platform, across our environments. Um, and it's, uh, you know, not one we take lightly, that's for sure. Well, CJ, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your insights. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights for more on these topics.